Let's pray this together. Avinu Malkenu, our Father and our King, give me eyes to see, ears to hear, a heart to perceive, and the will to obey your word that I hear today in Yeshua's name. Amen. So today we are starting an eight-week series entitled, He Turned My Morning Into Dancing. Again, that's the invite card that you have. Uh, thank you to Abigail who made up the little graphic for us. So that's a card to invite. We believe that this is going to be a great series and a good series to invite people to. So tonight, if you're not aware of the Jewish calendar, tonight begins uh, the holiday of Tisha B'Av, which simply means the ninth day of the month of Av. So we're in the month of Av right now. And the ninth of Av, in case you're, again, not familiar with this holiday, it's a day of fasting and mourning. And so I'm going to explain why this day is important to us and uh, what it has to do uh, and why it's on the Jewish calendar and tied into where God is leading us in this message series. So one article explains the day simply as this. Tisha B'Av, the ninth day of the month of Av, which is August 6th, 7th. Remember, the Jewish holiday starts in the evening. It was evening. It was morning, so it starts tonight. Is the saddest day on the Jewish calendar on which we fast, deprive ourselves, and pray. It is the culmination of the three weeks, a period of time, during which we mark the destruction of the Holy Temple in Jerusalem. So for the past three weeks, in the, in the traditional, especially in the Orthodox community, uh, the focus has been on mourning uh, the destruction of the temple. So it culminates in this day of fasting here on the 9th of Av. So it commemorates the destruction, again, of both the first and second temple. However, throughout Jewish history, some pretty bad things have happened on the 9th of Av. So I'm going to list a few of them that I found in one article. In 1313, roughly BCE, that is when the 10 spies brought back a report. It said they brought it back on the 9th of Av. And that bad report given by those 10 spies so affected the hearts of the entire nation of Israel that they pulled back and did not go into the promised land and wandered for 40 years in the wilderness. If that is not one of the saddest things of our history as a Jewish people. So that happened on the 9th of Av. The two temples were destroyed. Again, the first temple was in 423 BCE when it fell to the Babylonians, and the second temple fell to the Romans in 70 CE, and it unleashed this period of suffering that took a long time for our people to uh, recover from. In 133 CC, there was the Bar Kokhba revolt, and it was, was defeated. The Jews of the town of Batar were butchered on the 9th of Av, and the Temple Mount was plowed under one year later on the same date. Later on in history, fast forward to the Middle Ages, 1290, one of the first nations to expel its Jews, you, if you're not familiar with Jewish history, is the, the country of England. In 1290, on the 9th of Av, G, uh, England expelled its Jews. In 1492, what you hear as in history, Columbus sailed the ocean blue, but as a Jewish community, 1492 is when Jews were expelled from Spain, and it happened on the 9th of Av. So, 
some pretty bad things are connected with this day. And as I said, it is a day of mourning and mainly focused on the uh, destruction of the two temples. Uh, and we fast, we mourn, we read the book of Kohelet Lamentations, and uh, it's why this is considered one of the saddest days on the Jewish uh, calendar. It is the second most important fast day, second to Yom Kippur. Obviously, Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, is the most holiest of all days and the most important fast day. There are a lot of fast days throughout the Jewish calendar, and this is the second most important. So, focusing on the destruction of the temple, but when you combine all these other catastrophic things that happen, you can see how this day is a day of, wow, a lot of things happen. Maybe we won't get out of bed type of day. You see what, what I'm saying here? But God. But God. What happens after the ninth of Av on our Jewish calendar? After today, the next seven weeks are known as the Shabbats of Consolation. So beginning with next week, which is Parshava Et Hanan, and leading up to Rosh Hashanah, those seven weeks, we have special Haftarot readings. The Haftarot are the readings from the prophetical or historical books. And they were chosen specifically to bring comfort and encouragement to the Jewish people after the ninth of Av and leading up to Rosh Hashanah. I just want to talk, uh, this is a little side issue, but to give a little education and understanding of the Haftarot Parsha. So every week when we come up, we read from the Torah scroll, just I uh, chant something from the Haftorah and then the New Covenant. So uh, every year we read the entire Torah, Bereshit, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. We do not read the entire rest of the Tanakh. Some people are under the impression that we read everything else. So the Haftarot are selected each week. They were selected to co correlate with a theme or an event that happened in the Torah reading for, uh, for the day. So every other Haftarot, unless it's a special one for a holiday, connect to the Torah portion. But for the next seven weeks, you will see no correlation between the Haftarot and the Torah. The Haftarot are meant to be consolations, again, expressions of comfort uh, to the Jewish people. So we don't read all of, of Joshua, we don't read all of Jeremiah, we don't read all of Isaiah through our cycle of reading. We read it in our daily readings, but not the, the community, the Jewish community as a whole does not read that every Saturday, just to give you some education. But these selections, as I said, speak words of comfort and encouragement to people who had uh, perhaps lost hope. They proclaim life into situations that appear dead. Uh, so life into the dead areas, which we sung about that today in our worship songs. They shine light into the other darkness. And from the mourning over the tragic events, Adonai wants to infuse into us as a people the expectation of his presence and his deliverance. So this year we're going to be looking at those seven Haftarot as God encourages that he wants to turn our mourning into dancing. So today's message is an introduction to this series 
and I'm going to give you a general overview of the whole concept of God turning our mourning into dancing. We know that God wants to do something through this series. In fact, in several of the Haftarot that we will be looking at in the next seven weeks, he mentions that mourning specifically in them, not all of them, but some of them mention specifically mourning and how God wants to uh, bring it to an end for the Jewish people. So there are two passages of scripture in the Tanakh that specifically talk about God changing the mourning, and I'm going to read both of those today. The first one is from Tehillim 30, verses 11 and 12, and this is where we took the title our title of our series comes from this passage. The other is from Jeremiah, and that's what I'm going to be speaking on this morning. It's from Jeremiah. But reading what David wrote here in Tehillim 30, verses 11 and 10. You turn my mourning into dancing. You remove my sackcloth and clothe me with joy, so that my well-being can praise you and not be silent. Adonai, my God, I will thank you forever. So, this verse, as I said, is the basis for the title of our series. Many think that David wrote this uh, psalm dedicating the ark on the threshing floor of uh, Aronah, the Jebusite, where a plague had broken out because David took a census. Because if you see the opening, it talks about on the dedication of the house. That's the title of this. Others think that he wrote it uh, after Absalom had... Uh, exiled. If you remember the story of David's son Absalom, he uh, led a coup against his father, and David fled from Jerusalem and left his house. And so some think that he wrote this psalm upon returning to Jerusalem and to his home, and then speaking this blessing over and this praise. It's really a psalm of thanks to God for restoring him. Others think that they see this as uh, David giving thanks to God as he has recovered from a battle with sickness. So whatever the reason David wrote this, we know enough from David's life to know that he often experienced sorrow and pain. Sometimes it was from his own decisions that he personally made. Uh, you know, David did not always make wise choices, uh, i.e. Bathsheba and Uriah. Uh, but often it was because others were pursuing David and seeking to destroy him, like the story of his uh, son Absalom that we just mentioned, King Saul. So these verses represent the truth that David experienced over and over again in his life. And we can read this in the Psalms, and that's why so many of us relate to the Psalms, because it's real life, you know. Uh, the enemy was beating me up, I fled, I hid, you saved me, thank you God, right? I was in trouble, I called out to you, you saved me, thank you God. So we relate very much to David, God, I'm struggling, I don't get what's going on, why is all of this happening? You showed me, thank you God. So we relate to the Psalms because they are like everyday life that, that we face. So although David walked through these many difficult and often painful situations that brought him sorrow and mourning, he always, can you say with me always? He always saw the hand of God bringing deliverance, which resulted in great rejoicing. And I believe this is what God wants to do for us as a community of faith this year through these seven Haftarot 
of consolation. He wants that to be the testimony of each one of us who are listening to this message, whether you're here in this sanctuary, whether you're watching on YouTube or Facebook, whether you're listening to this message a year from now on the podcast that Randy faithfully puts up every week. God wants you to have the same testimony as David, that no matter what difficulties we face, no matter the hardships that come our way, no matter how deep the pain might be, and right now some of you are in very, very deep pain. You put on a great face, nobody, but nobody may know it, but God sees. And he knows the pain of your heart. And no matter how deep that pain may be, God wants us to experience him turning our mourning into dancing and into great joy. So let's just talk about mourning for a little bit before we look at Jeremiah 31. We all know that mourning has to do with loss. It's most often associated with the loss of a loved one through death. And even though as believers we have a hope of seeing our loved ones in eternity, there is still great pain when we lose someone that we have loved dearly and that was a part of our life. Yet, God can take that mourning and turn it into joy. There are other reasons why people mourn. It could be the loss of a job and you find yourself struggling to provide for your family as you frantically look for employment. Perhaps it's a relationship that meant so much to you that has been severed and there's this pain deep in your heart because you miss spending time with that person. Sometimes it's the plans and dreams that we had for our lives and they don't materialize the way we had envisioned, so we're left with this emptiness and this sadness in our hearts. Other times, this mourning or sadness comes in as we watch someone that we love making some wrong decisions including turning away from Adonai, and we feel helpless because there's nothing that we can practically do as we watch them go down this path of destruction. And then other times, we're waiting for a promise to be fulfilled. Uh, Irina was talking with me about this. We, we talked about this series actually a few months ago when we met with Rena and Evan, our volunteer staff, and we planned out what God was speaking to us to speak on in the rest of the year. And sometimes it's about a delayed promise. When the promise is delayed and it's yet to be fulfilled, this despondency can sit into our hearts that often leads to us, one, accepting the status quo, which is never, ever good, and giving up on that promise. Bottom line, mourning represents pain, loss, discomfort. It brings sadness and grief and it can lead to despondency and despair. But God. But God. Can you say that with me? But God. God wants to step into your pain this morning and into my pain, releasing not only hope for our future, but to actually turn, to turn our sorrow into something 
beautiful. Not just replacing the sorrow, but he wants to turn it into something. Turn it into something beautiful. So listen to these verses so you get the connotation of what I'm talking about. So it says, he turned my mourning into dancing. Turn, that little four-letter word. I'm going to give you some scriptures where this same Hebrew word is used so you can understand the connotation of what God is saying. So you can write these down in your notes, Shemot 7-7, Exodus 7-7. God turned the staff of Moses into a serpent. He turned it. He changed it. God turned the staff of Moses into a serpent. In Shemot, Exodus 7-17, he turned the water of the Nile River into blood. In Tehillim 6-6, we are told God turned the Jordan River into dry land so the children of Israel could escape the Egyptians that were pursuing them. And then in Tehillim, Psalm 114.8, we're told that Adonai turned the rock in the desert into a pool of water. And then in Devarim, Deuteronomy 25.3, we read how God turned the curse of Balaam into a blessing. Do you see what this word means? God took and he changed these things from one thing to another. He changed the Nile River and made it blood. He changed the Jordan River and made it dry land. He changed the rock and made it a pool of water. He changed the curse of Balaam and made it a blessing. He didn't remove it. Do you hear what I'm saying? He didn't remove it. He changed it. It was a staff. It became a serpent. It was a river. It became blood. It was a river. It became dry land. He changed it even if it was just for that moment. But when he changed it for that moment, what happened? Deliverance, freedom. Everything turned around for the people involved. So when he changed the Jordan River into dry land, what happened? They crossed into the promised land. When he changed that rock into water, what happened? There was a supply of water in the desert when they had nothing to drink. So even though that change might have been just for a moment, obviously the Jordan River flowed back over. It's still there now. There's no dry spot on the Jordan River. It's a river. It's well, but for that one moment, when he changed that river into dry land, it did something for the children of Israel. It helped them to go forward into the place that he had prepared for them. God wants to do the same for you and me. So as we go through this series, God wants to change you, first of all, in the midst of your situation, but he also wants to change things in your situation. I talked a little bit about this in my message last week, Matthew 11:28, when I talk about exchanging, right, exchanging my yoke for his yoke. So today, no matter how deep your pain, and again, Adonai wants this to be a season of turning that pain into great joy. So I want to read now for Yirmiyahu 31. As I said, this is going to be the text of my message. And God here talks about turning the morning not just into dancing, but he says into joy. So follow as I read. It's a pretty extensive passage, about 14 verses here. From Yirmiyahu, Jeremiah 31, the words will be up on the screen, or you can open up your Bible to follow along. Here is what Adonai says. The people escaping the sword found favor in the desert, I have brought Israel to its rest. From a distance, Adonai appeared to me saying, I love you with an everlasting love. 
This is why in my grace I draw you to me. Once again, I will build you. You will be rebuilt. Virgin of Israel, once again equipped with your tambourines, you will go out and dance with the merrymakers. Once again, you will plant vineyards on the hills of Shomron, and those doing the planting will have the use of its fruit. For a day will come when the watchmen on Mount Ephraim will call, Come, let's go up to Zion, to Adonai our God. For here's what Adonai says, Sing with joy for Yaakov. Shout for the chief of the nations. Proclaim your praise and say, Adonai, you have saved your people, the remnant of Israel. Look, I am bringing them from the land of the north, this is out of captivity, gathering them from the far ends of the earth. Among them are the blind and lame, women with children, women in labor, all together a vast throng returning here. They will come weeping and praying as I bring them back. I will lead them by streams of water on smooth paths so that they won't stumble. For I am a father to Israel, and Ephraim is my son, firstborn son. Nations, hear the word of Adonai. Proclaim it in the coastlands far away. Say, he who scattered Israel is gathering him, gathering him like a shepherd his flock. For Adonai has ransomed Yaakov, redeemed him from hands too strong for him. Just a side note. Some of you are facing things that are too strong for you in your own strength. He's your Goel, your Redeemer. They will come and sing in the heights of Zion, streaming to the goodness of Adonai, to the grain, the wine, the olive oil, and the young of flock and the herd. They themselves will be like a well-watered garden, never to languish again. Then the virgin will dance for joy, young men and old men together, for I will turn their mourning into joy. Comfort and gladden them after their sorrow. I will give the Kohanim their fill of rich food, and my people will be satisfied with my bounty, says Adonai. So what is God wanting to do when we're talking about turning our mourning into joy, into dancing? I have four things from this passage that I believe God wants to encourage us this morning so that we can open up our hearts to receive for the next seven weeks all these messages that God wants to speak of comfort and encouragement to us. Number one, Adonai loves you unconditionally and infinitely. God loves you unconditionally and infinitely. The love of God. If we cannot comprehend and understand and receive the love of God, we will never have our mourning turn into joy. The Hebrew says, Ahavat olam, ahavtik, alken mishkitik chesed, chesed. I love you with an everlasting love. That is why, in my grace, I draw you to me. When we experience loss, when we go through painful situations, when we don't understand why these things are happening to us, it can be hard to remember how much Adonai loves us. In fact, <clears throat> sometimes 
the intensity of the pain that we are feeling and of the sense of loss becomes so overbearing that we even begin to question if God loves us at all and his presence in our lives. And if we're honest, everyone has felt that at some point or time. I don't care how strong a believer you are. When you go through something that is so painful that you never, ever imagine yourself going through, that pain can make you at least say, God, where are you at? So today, God proclaims to each of our hearts and our spirits and our souls, I love you. <clears throat> he says, my love for you has never, ever stopped. And even though you're going through a difficult season of life, he says, do not doubt my love for you. God says, right now, my grace is available to you, and it is my grace that will help you through this difficult and even painful situation that some of you are feeling. He says, don't turn away from me, but run into my arms of love. The psalmist put it this way in Tehillim 36, verse 5 and 7, as he talks about God's love. Your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. And in verse 7, how precious is your steadfast love, O God. The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. When we are overwhelmed by whatever life has thrown at us, let us remember the steadfast love of Adonai. What does it mean when it says steadfast? It means it's unchanging, it's reliable, it never, ever ceases. God loves you. Turn to your neighbor and say, God loves you. Now turn to him and say, no, I really mean it. He loves you. He loves you. Turn to your neighbor and says, say, he loves me. Now say, no, I really mean it. He loves me. Okay, he loves you. He loves me. He loves us. And the psalmist tells us that his love is steadfast, reliable, it's never going to stop. And he tells us that we can find refuge and shelter in that love. And so God wants us to remember how much he loves us. That love is unconditional and it's infinite. And that love is a place of refuge and strength when life is throwing everything but this kitchen sink at you and maybe even that. Secondly, Adonai will, will, will rebuild you and your circumstance. Remember, the prophet is speaking to a people who have been exiled. It says he's going to bring them from the north, so they were exiled. We talked about the first temple, the Babylonians, the Assyrians. Again, everybody was always overrunning uh, the nation of Israel and taking them captive. And when they look at their lives, when the Jewish people look at their lives, uh, they see barrenness, they see uh, no fruit, uh, their thoughts in their head have to be what good can come from this, and even in some of the Hafta wrote we'll be reading, 
it says, and Israel says, why have you forgotten me, God? Because when you're in these situations, that's how you can feel. And you don't see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Again, all you see is pain. All you see is destruction. All you see is uh, the dreams crumbling right before your very eyes. And when we're in the midst of the pain, because that's what mourning represents to me more than anything else is pain, it's hard to see beyond that. And that's okay. You know, mourning is a process that we each must walk through, whether it is mourning because of a death, whether it is mourning because of a loss of something else that we talked about. Mourning is a process that we have to walk through. But in the midst of our pain and walking through that, Adonai wants, again, to let us know that he is with us. We sang the song at the end of worship. I am not alone. I am not alone. You are not alone. Again, he loves us and he's with us, but he's going to do something in our lives. Read with me what verses 3 and 4 or 4 and 5, depending on whether you're reading Hebrew or English. That's why there's two verse numbers there. In Jeremiah 31, he says, Once again, I will build you. You will be rebuilt, virgin of Israel. Once again, equipped with your tambourines, you will go out and dance with the merrymakers. Once again, you will plant vineyards on the hills of Shomron, and those doing the planting will have the use of fruit. Once again, ode in Hebrew. God uses that several times in these three verses and in this whole chapter. Once again, another right now, you think it will never, ever be good again in your life. You think you will never, ever see your marriage restored. You'll never ever see your business go back to what it used to be. You'll never ever see your family do this. You'll never ever see. But God says once again, oh, once again, once again, you will see your family here in this sanctuary worshiping the Lord. Once again, you will experience the joy of the marriage and the love of your life with the wife of your youth. Somebody say amen. And not the single people. You can't see it right now because the pain is so deep and the disappointment that you're walking through, but God says once again, I'm going to build you up. Once again, you will be flourishing and you will be prospering. Once again, there will be life where you see no life. Israel couldn't see that. That's why God spoke to them through the prophets. And again, the next seven weeks, these hops wrote a consolation. They are God just over and over again. Speaking encouragement, encouragement, encouragement. God is going to pound you with encouragement for the next eight weeks. And so by the end of those eight weeks, your feet should be dancing with joy. But the first time Israel heard it, they didn't start dancing. And I get it. At the end of this message, some of you may go home and say, oh, okay, Rabbi Carol, whatever. 
I'm, I'm not upset. I'm not offended. Because I realize some of you, it, it is pressure on you, and you are feeling the weight, as I talked about last week, and what you're going through. You would never, ever imagined you would be walking through something like this. I know. I've walked through things myself, and I've shared sometimes as I'm encouraging my own children. I said, if you ever get my journals once I'm gone, which will be a long time from now, I said, you will read, and you, I said, you read, and, and you can see, and I, I can remember a time specifically, and, and when I'm writing it, and I'm, I'm struggling, but I know I'm struggling, and I'm saying, I know this is not a good place to be, and I need to get beyond this, God, but this is what I'm feeling right now. The weight was heavy of the circumstances and the situation, but I knew it wasn't where I was going to stay, and you could see that um, day after day, working and speaking that and saying, God, I'm looking to you because I'm trying to receive the encouragement that you're trying to give me. And I know some of you are trying to receive the encouragement from the Lord today. But I'm telling you, by the end of these eight weeks, God is going to turn your morning into dancing. God is going to turn your morning into joy. Watch and see. Watch and see what God will do. Not Rabbi Carol, not Rabbi Michael, not Rena, not Evan. No, no, no. God is going to turn your mourning into dancing, into joy. Again, exile could, uh, the Israelites, the Jews in exile couldn't see it. They saw only devastation, ruins, rubble, pain. What good can come from this? And that might be what you see. But God says he sees beyond your pain. God sees you made whole. He sees fruitfulness in your life, and he wants to work in you personally, helping you walk through the pain and the sorrow, and also to work in your circumstance that seems so bleak, and to turn them into life-giving and overflowing and bursting with goodness. Romans 8.28 is a scripture that we often speak when we're facing challenging times, but it's the truth that cannot be minimized. And I know when you're going through it, you really don't want to hear the rabbi tell you this verse. Because <laughs> I don't want to hear it when I'm going through something. But God says through Rashi'ul, we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called in accordance with his purpose. How can he work this together, Rabbi Carol? You don't understand the hell that I am living in right now, Rabbi Carol. You have no clue what's going on in my home. Rabbi Carol, you have, I don't need to have any clue because you have a heavenly father who sees every detail of your life, even the ones you are trying to hide from everyone. It's not hidden from God. And God is going to take those details of your life that are causing you pain, that are making you feel like there's no hope, and he's going to change them. Change them into joy and dancing. Number three. Adonai will lead you carefully along a path of restoration. 
Adonai will lead you carefully along a path of restoration. Verse 8 or 9, they will come weeping and praying as I bring them back. I will lead them by streams of water on smooth paths so that they won't stumble. For I am a father to Israel, and Ephraim is my firstborn son. In these verses, you got to hear what God is saying. God is saying, Carol, I get it. I see exactly where you're at. I see you're beaten, you're trodden, you're overwhelmed. You feel like you cannot take this anymore. You think there is no way that this situation can turn around for you, for your family. You think your loved one will never come to faith. They're too far gone. You think your marriage is over. You think your finances are done. You think that hell has won, and there you might as well throw in the towel. And God says, I see that. But you're wrong. I'm going to turn it around. But I see where you're at. And I'm going to lead you along this smooth path. Because I don't want you to stumble. I see that you're already overwhelmed by what's happening in your life. And he knows it's not easy as we walk through this process of mourning. He sees the weeping that no one else sees. The pain you feel over your loss has not escaped him. He knew Israel was going to return with weeping and praying. And he's heard your prayers and he's seen your tears. And his response is to gently, 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 and carefully lead us along a path that will be easy for us to navigate. He describes himself in this passage as our father. Now, I know we don't all have good earthly fathers. I understand that. And so sometimes it's hard for you to get hold of the truth of God as your heavenly father. But I'm going to tell you what a father is. A father is good. A father is kind. A father is compassionate. And maybe that's not what you experienced, and I am sorry for you because that's the type of father everyone should have had in their life. And if that is not what you had in the natural, it is what you have spiritually. He does not delight in seeing you in pain or seeing you stumbling. That's why he's leading you on smooth paths. That's why he's leading you by refreshing waters in order to meet your needs and to help you in this process. He's making a way for us in the midst of our sorrow and pain. And he also tells us that he's a shepherd, a shepherd who guides us through this journey of life. And I'm going to encourage you this morning to take hold of the hand of your shepherd. Take hold of the hand of your father and do not let go. One of the things I remembered most about my earthly father was his hands. And when he passed away, that was one of the things that struck in my mind because my father had strong hands. And grabbing hold of my father's hands, I always felt secure. Always knew things were going to be okay. Even if I couldn't see how they could be okay. Because there was strength in my daddy's hand. 
Your Heavenly Father wants you to grab hold of his hand today. Whatever you are going through, to grab hold of his hand and don't, don't let go. His hand is strong. And again, his hand will see you through even though you don't know how. I've shared this story many times in the past. You know, again, I came to faith as a young child. And there was one time where I was praying alone in the living room. If my siblings are watching, I was never alone. I have five siblings. I don't know how I was alone. But I remember praying and saying, I don't know what I was going through because I only remember the prayer. God, I know you're real. But if you could just do this for me, if you could just reach down and hold my hand. And I lifted my hand up, and God grabbed hold of my hand. I physically felt somebody holding my hand. So, again, a young child, maybe 10. I wasn't a teenager yet that I can remember. And he wants to hold your hand today because he knows you need it. And he wants to take you from this place of where you're at into the wide, open, spacious place that he has prepared for you. He wants to turn your mourning into joy. Hold tightly because he's going to lead you safely through the pain and the sorrow. And the last thing from this passage, to help prepare our hearts for what God is going to do. Everyone look at Rabbi Carol right now. I am telling you, if you will respond, if you will hear, God is going to turn your mourning into joy. He's going to turn your mourning into dancing in the next eight weeks. Not a year from now, not two years from now, although he might do some of that again, but at this season, in these eight weeks, God wants to do something for every single one of us. He wants to turn a situation around for us that it causes great joy in our lives. And that's our last point. God's heart for you and me is that we experience great joy in place of our sorrow. Verse 12 and 13 from Jeremiah 31, then the virgin will dance for joy Young men and old men together, for I will turn their mourning into joy, comfort, and gladden them after sorrow. For some of us, it is hard to see ourselves experiencing happiness, let alone great joy. There's going to be a lot of joy in this place. And you ain't going to be sitting at the back. You're going to be dancing across the front up here. Okay, I'm just telling you what's going to happen. And I know some of you can't receive it right now. And again, I'm not upset because I know what God wants to do. He's going to turn your mourning into joy. That's his heart for you. That's his heart for me. He wants to change you, and he wants to change your circumstances. And this word is for every single person. He says, young men and old together. So it doesn't matter how long you've been living on this earth. It doesn't matter how young you are. 
doesn't matter how long you have known the Lord or how short you have known the Lord. This is for every single person. And he's saying that even in the midst of the most difficult thing that you are facing, Adonai is here ready to exchange, to turn. He turned the staff into a serpent. He turned the river into blood. He's turned the river into dry land. He's going to turn, turn, turn. He's going to change it completely. In the midst of our pain, he wants us to grab onto hope. Hope that tells us he has not forgotten us. Hope that tells us that there is a future for us. Hope that tells us that we are not alone. Hope that tells us that he does have good for us and our families. Once again, Israel in the natural just could not see this. She couldn't see herself rejoicing. Just thinking about all the disasters that happened on the ninth of Av, how could you think anything good could come? And yet, look at the nation of Israel today, that it even exists as a modern nation. It's a testimony to God keeping his promises. If he kept his promise to Israel, trust me, he will keep his promise to you. Because he is no respecter of person, he, he will keep his word to you. God loves us, and he wants us to experience great joy, joy unspeakable. Yeshua talks about how rivers of living water will flow out of our innermost being. That's speaking of the Ruach, which he wants to impart into us, and there's rivers of joy flowing out of us. That pain you feel, God is going to turn it into joy. So I want to encourage you, let him do that in your life. I close with this scripture from Tehillim, Psalm 28, 7. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in him, and he helps me. My heart leaps for joy, and with my song I praise him. Let me read that again. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in him. In fact, can you read this with me? I wasn't sure this verse was up here. Let's read this together. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in him, and he helps me. My heart leaps for joy, and with my song I praise him. Prophetically, we have proclaimed that. That's what we were doing there, making a prophetic proclamation over ourselves. Let's proclaim it one more time. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in him, and he helps me. My heart leaps for joy, and with my song, I praise him. Amen. He is going to turn your mourning into dancing. Get ready, get ready. My little brother used to say, get ready, get ready, because God is going to do something in the next eight weeks. You just open your hearts up and say, God, I'm here. I want to experience that. Let's stand to our feet. I want to give opportunity before I close with the ironic benediction. If you do not know Yeshua, if you don't have a personal relationship with God, well, God wants you to know him. So I'm going to lead the congregation in the prayer. Ask you to pray this prayer with me, whether you're here in the sanctuary, you're watching on YouTube or Facebook, or you're listening to the podcast. And if you're not in person, I just say, please reach out to me and my husband. 
through the message channels on those social media, and I will get it because we would like to encourage you with this prayer that you're about to pray with me. God, thank you for loving me and sending Yeshua to die for my sins. I repent and accept his atonement on my behalf. Amen. Greatest prayer you will have ever prayed, and that has to be lived out. And my husband and I would love to be a part of your spiritual journey. That is what Beth Emanuel is about, helping people get from where they are to where God wants them to be. I'm going to close with the Ronnie benediction, and I want to invite everyone to come up. So as I was going through greeting people at the beginning, I'm like, you're going to stay for bagels and, and coffee? Oh, okay. No, not okay. Yeah, Rabbi Carol, I'm going to join you. Bagels, coffee, cake. Come, schmooze, have a little uh, fellowship time with others in the congregation and, uh, and be blessed here. So let me speak this blessing. Don't forget to invite someone with your invite card. I'm going to send an electronic version so you can uh, text people as well as handing these out physically so you'll get one of these electronically this week. So, bless you and keep you. Make his face shine on you. And show you his favor. May Adonai lift up his face towards you and give you peace. May the peace of God be upon you. He's going to turn your mourning into dancing. Join you upstairs. Shabbat Shalom. <laughs>